there was some data out there about how accelerated approvals have mostly benefited cancer drugs. We've seen some accelerated approvals staying on the market for even years after they have failed on the confirmed trial. That's Angus Liu, a staff writer here at Fierce Biotech. Later, we'll hear more from him about the FDA's stance on cancer drug approvals and how that is shifting. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. Today is Friday the 13th. I'm wearing my clothes inside out today. Why not? It's supposed to bring good luck on this unlucky day. I guess you're supposed to sleep in unironed sheets, too. But who has time to iron their sheets? (laughs) Stick with us. We've got all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. The annual J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference was buzzing after three companies announced new acquisitions. So here's the rundown. In one of the deals, as reported by Nick Paul Taylor, AstraZeneca scooped up Syncor Pharma, a blood pressure specialist. It was an opportunistic move by AstraZeneca. A few months ago, Syncor reported a trial failure for a blood pressure medicine. Investors fled, and its share price plummeted from $30 to $12. So AstraZeneca paid a share price of $26 in a $1.3 billion deal. Now AstraZeneca's goal is to get the medicine across the FDA finish line. If that happens, AstraZeneca could gladly make the $500 million milestone payment and take the drug to the market. Also announced at the JPM conference, Ibsen swooped in to buy Albareo and its pediatric liver disease treatment, Bilvey. As reported by Kevin Dunleavy, the deal was for $952 million, which sounds like a bargain considering the blockbuster potential of Bilvey. With news of the deal, Albareo's stock price jumped 85%. Bilvey was approved in 2021 for pediatric liver disease, but sales have been slow compared to the competition. Ibsen's experience commercializing medicines should help spark sales of Bilvey. The third deal this week was made by Italian company Chasey Pharmaceutici. As reported by Eric Saganowski, Chasey paid $1.48 billion for Amerit, which is based in Dublin. Amerit is only eight years old, but has struck three acquisitions of its own. The company has built itself into a global force with several hundred employees and a handful of approved products. The primary pipeline asset Chasey gains in the acquisition is a drug for a rare skin disorder. It was approved in Europe, but was rejected in the United States last year. There is a $225 million milestone payment tied to the treatment as Chasey will try to revive its prospects in the U.S. Coming up next, we'll hear from Angus Liu and Karita Anderson as they discuss some changes to the FDA-accelerated approval process. But first, an announcement. We just finished hosting another Fierce JPM Week. It was an exciting gathering of some of the greatest minds in pharma and healthcare. But don't worry if you missed it. You can still catch the virtual programming on January 17th through 19th. Sign up at FierceJPMWeek.com. And if you're still unable to make it, we do have a few special episodes coming up that will highlight a little bit of the programming. Next Friday's episode of The Top Line will focus on the JPM Week. And we also have a JPM special episode of Podnosis. That's our sister podcast produced by our Fierce Healthcare team. The JPM Week special episode is on January 25th. 
So if you haven't yet listened to Podnosis, now would be a good time to add it to your queue. Podnosis, spelled just like it sounds, and we're the only one with that name. The FDA is making some changes in the accelerated approval process. Currently, drugs approved under this pathway sometimes use a surrogate endpoint. That's a sign that hints at a drug's benefit. But it isn't directly a measure of the drug's clinical benefit. So, as the rules say, good enough for now, but you'll have to follow up with a study that confirms how well the drug works. That all seems fair, but the FDA hasn't been actively enforcing the mandate. In fact, some cancer drugs have been approved for years without providing that follow-up advanced clinical data that confirms what the surrogate endpoint only hinted at. Senior writer Angus Liu reports that the FDA is now tightening the reins and starting to enforce these mandates. He spoke with managing editor Karita Anderson about the recent changes with the FDA's regulation of cancer drugs. They spoke about how these shifts will impact the biopharma industry. Here they are. Today, uh, we're going to talk about two really important parts of the drug development sector, the FDA and cancer drugs. So, Angus, you know, I thought let's start first with just a general summary of the various shifts that you've been noticing and tracking and talking about within the FDA's cancer department. Sure, Karita. I think there are mainly four uh, large categories or areas of uh, shifts. First is a revamp of the accelerated approval pathway that's going on for a while now. And another thing is an increased focus on longer-term outcomes, patients' longer-term outcomes, uh, especially overall survival data. Right. Uh, the third one is dose optimization, uh, just how companies are uh, examining the dosing and both the strength and the schedule of their drugs uh, mm. in clinical trials. And the fourth part is kind of a mixture of... Uh, a stress on uh, randomized trials versus single-arm trials, mm. as well as global studies versus single-country studies. Let's begin with accelerated approvals. Um, you know, this path- pathway to getting a drug approved has been under scrutiny only for the last couple of years or so. So for today, we're going to just focus on on cancer drugs. Let's talk about how this all started. There were some data out there about how accelerated approvals have mostly benefited cancer drugs. We've seen some accelerated approvals, cancer accelerated approvals, staying on the market years after their uh, original accelerated approvals or even years after they have failed on a confirmatory trial. So that started to change. Uh, We we saw the first signal uh, at the end of 2020 when uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb released this announcement saying they're withdrawing an Opdivo indication in small cell lung cancer uh, that that hasn't met its confirmatory trial requirement. At that time, Bristol-Myers just said this is part of a a larger industry-wide assessment of all of the cancer-accelerated approvals uh, that haven't met confirmatory trial requirement. But at that time, Nobody just nobody realized the scope of this review because that was the first thing. But in the following months, mm. we see AstraZeneca, Roche, Merck, 
one after another pulling their accelerator, some of their accelerated approvals of their PD1, PDL1 inhibitors off the market. And that at that point, then we realized that the FDA was really getting serious about it. And all of this culminated in uh, an advisory committee meeting in April 2021, where the FDA held a two day meeting, I think, to discuss some of the uh, PD1, PDL1 indications that it didn't meet their goal in confirmatory trials. That all went down in 2021. Like you said, April 2021 was when the FDA had that big uh, meeting for those particular drugs, uh, what are called PD1 and PDL1 inhibitors. The FDA didn't stop there, right? Uh, the FDA's focus on accelerated approvals does, in fact, span across all types of cancer drugs. If we look uh, more closely, just GSK just recently pulled their BCMA-targeted drug Blenrip uh, off mm. the market. As I said in the past, there were multiple cases where a drug remained on the market even years after failing a confirmatory trial. But here you, you saw GSK pulling a failed drug just 15 days, just two weeks after a confirmatory, announcing a confirmatory trial failure. So I wonder if this marks just how the FDA will act on field accelerated approvals, at least the oncology department, how yeah. the FDA will act on a, a field accelerated approvals from here on. But pulling drugs off the market is just one part of this FDA crackdown on accelerated approvals. Uh, another move, and to me, probably even more damning for uh, cancer drug makers, is the FDA has recently started to require that a confirmatory trial to be underway as sort of a prerequisite or a condition for an accelerated approval. This was not in any law or or in not not in FDA's previous practice. You know, before sometimes we saw confirmatory trials starting a while after their approval, but now the FDA's oncology department is saying it wants that confirmatory trial to be to have at least started uh, at the time of the accelerated approval. Yeah, so all of this is bound to uh, impact cancer drug development. You know, industry stakeholders, you know, we often hear the frustration when they start saying things like, oh, there's so much regulatory red tape and and how that would stifle innovation. But on the other hand, um, oversight is needed and there is a need to ensure that patients aren't are not harmed. But let but let's talk about the industry perspective and you know who's gonna be hurt by this. This new policy definitely will and I, I should say is already wreaking havoc on small biotechs. I mean before this new policy some companies can rely on having that accelerated approval in hand to ask for additional funding and to have that drug on the market, to have some sales income, to be able to fund a right. confirmatory trial afterward, after the approval. But now the company must have more money to bankroll confirmatory trial even before an approval. I mean, this is definitely going to be a higher bar. So I, I've interviewed uh, SVB Securities 
uh, Dana Graybosch uh, a, a few weeks ago. She said mm-hmm. that young biotechs that are caught in the middle of this, those companies who are already well underway, who, who are already deep into clinical development and have already their plans all yeah. laid out, these companies would take the full blunt from the new uh, new new policy. They they will have to rework their regulatory, their plans, everything. The regulatory plan, commercial plan, financing, they have to rework everything. Uh, and it's not just accelerated approvals, but the FDA is targeting full traditional approvals as well. I mean, GSK knows this firsthand. It was mm. forced to withdraw or limit uh, some Zedula indications, you know, ovarian cancer indications following overall survival data. These are two different indications uh, that uh, GSK got uh, in late line ovarian cancer based on overall, overall response data and in cyclone line maintenance setting based on uh, progression-free survival data. Right. So this sort of, this stress on longer-term overall survival data actually brings us to another FDA initiative, this one called Project Optimus. It was launched in 2021. It, it actually is demanding a major shift uh, in how companies select uh, drug dosing. Before this project, companies are mainly pushing for maximum tolerated dose in early stage trials to maximize that efficacy, but ignores right. the long-term toxicity. So, And this all played out uh, in another advisory committee meeting at the FDA on PI3K inhibitor class for black cancers. I mean, this class of drug have historically shown big PFS benefit, but actually has started to show even worse overall survival data. Yeah, you know, in uh, the shift that the industry has seen to use adaptive clinical trial designs, my thought has always been that dose optimization has been the thing that suffered the most. So we went from that like traditional model of going from phase one to phase two to phase three, and where phase two would really be concentrating a lot on dose optimization. Um, now we hear a lot about phase slash phase one slash twos, phase two slash threes, and mm-hmm. things have sort of, you know, a lot of things get merged together. And, you know, of course, that certainly has advantages. There are very practical reasons to have adaptive clinical trial design, but, you know, losing out on the dose, uh, it, it, the right dose to study is, is probably a big one. So what's the FDA doing now about, about all of that? Right. Yeah, I think with those uh, selection, the FDA has already acted. Uh, it, 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 we've seen the FDA requiring some additional post-marketing dosing tests, mm. even after approvals. Uh, most recent examples are the two KRAS inhibitors that are approved with post-marketing requirements uh, to test a lower dose of the drugs. And the FDA is also starting to require more, more dose-ranging testing in phase two. You know, yeah. and previously companies typically have chosen the dose after the phase one trial and they only test one dose in phase two. But right now the FDA wants to see additional dose uh, dosing in the phase two trial and additional dose response analysis. So this means that companies just have to devise clinical trials differently. You can't just pick one dose for phase two. And what that means is 
probably prolonged drug development timeline. Right. And that's exactly it. Time is money. So that's the reason why companies want to shorten it. So, okay, we've spoken about FDA's, you know, renewed focus on accelerated approval pathway. Uh, We've spoken about getting overall survival data and improving dose optimization strategies. Lastly, let's dive into the final aspect you mentioned at the start, those single country and single arm trials. Um, to flesh that out a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, this one, uh, the FDA made it very clear that it doesn't like single country trials uh, in right. rejecting Eli Lilly and even when biologics, uh, PD-1 inhibitors and telemob. This was also featured in a high profile Again, advisory committee meeting. Yeah. And after that, the FDA sort of made it clear that single arm, uh, single country trials sometimes don't reflect, don't reflect the existing uh, treatment paradigm in the United States. Mm. And also because sometimes these trial and Dr. Pastor made it, made that accusation actually during a conference saying yeah. that these, these trials were conducted because the companies can avoid testing their drugs against the most advanced or most updated standard of yeah, care standard of care in the yeah. US. So after that, um, that big revelation, that big rejection of the Eli Lilly innovant drug, we've seen several PD-1 L1 inhibitors uh, shifting their strategy. We saw Novartis Beijing scrapped uh, some flighting plans for their PD-1. And uh, companies revamping their entire uh, commercial strategy based on this new shift in FDA's uh, requirement. And we also see Gilead and Arcus change their PD-1 digit combo protocol midway to instead of comparing to chemotherapy, they're comparing to Kichuda instead. That's changing kind of the comparator arm into an updated standard of care. So apart from uh, single country trials, the FDA is also sort of saying no to single arm trials that um, at least in the PD-1 L1 class, because these the FDA is advocating for early randomized trials because this allows for a better analysis of a drug's efficacy versus uh, a single-arm trials because you have a comparator to compare a drug to. So just following that rationale, the FDA recently wrote out this uh, initiative called Project Frontrunner, which aims to move accelerated approval to earlier line of treatment because, you know, in the past, the uh, d- drug companies have been testing their cancer drugs first in a very late line setting with single arm trials based on ov- uh, overall tumor shrink rate data, based on overall response data. The FDA was sort of rewarding companies who are following its instructions to do those randomized trials with this project front runner to start testing these drugs in randomized trials versus single-arm trials. So the FDA is sort of offering accelerated approval to shorten the development timeline uh, for companies uh, doing that. Yeah. So that's Project front, front Runner. 
Yeah, it's interesting, right? Earlier line of treatment is obviously better all around, but later line of treatment can be quicker and easier. And hence, that's where, you know, companies would play in first. So, you know, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is Dr. Pastor Pastor himself. So Dr. Richard Pastor, he's the director of the Oncology Center of Excellence. Now, I know you've interviewed him at least a couple of times now. Can you uh, give us some insights on his thinking behind all of these moves? Yeah, I think Dr. Pasto is someone who's just, you know, watching out for what's best for patients and what's best for cultivating innovation. I mean, uh, Dr. Pasto has also mentioned to me that accelerated approval isn't an incentive program for the industry. Such so we have point. always been talking about because we covered the industry. We have always talked about the impact of this on the biopharma industry. But Pastor, Dr. Pastor was like, this is not a program for the industry. Yes. This is about bringing a drug faster to patients. So this is not there to make pharma's life easier. So some biotechs may struggle or may not even survive. But Dr. Pastor's argument was you know, good drug, true innovation will find that financial support to meet those confirmatory trial re- requirements. Some Me Too drugs might not. But so his emphasis is again on innovation. And lastly, I think it's also more power to the FDA. By requiring more, by changing its policies, I think the FDA, Dr. Pesto, also is getting the FDA more, more power, more control over yeah. the approved drug development uh, progress to Dr. Pastor's will, actually, how he wants cancer drug development to be. So these regulatory changes definitely also gives more power to the FDA, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And I think, you know, I think the last word on this has to go to Dr. Pastor and his comment that you just mentioned about the accelerated approval pathway not being an incentive program for pharma, but meant to help benefit patients. This week is a busy week for news, most of it from JPM Week, so here we go. Editas Medicine is making some major changes, including trimming its pipeline and laying off staff. Editas introduced its new star, Edit 301. It's a sickle cell and beta thalassemia treatment. Editas announced in a press release that its work moving forward will prioritize Edit 301. As Annalie Armstrong reports, Other programs will be discontinued, including one that was meant to address a degenerative eye condition and Editas's natural killer cell programs. Editas will also cut 20% of its staff and Chief Scientific Officer Mark Sherman as well. At the JP Morgan conference, CFO Michelle Robertson said that the retool will free up some cash to help Editas reach value inflection points. She cited the unfriendly equity markets as a factor in the decision-making. Last week, the FDA approved another treatment for Alzheimer's disease, ISI and Biogen's Lakembi. But the celebration was muted compared to the excitement two years ago when ISI and Biogen's other Alzheimer's drug, Agihelm, was approved. Why the difference between now and then? As Fraser Kansteiner reports, Medicare's 2022 coverage restriction for anti-amyloid antibodies means only some patients will be able to access these treatments. 
For now, Medicare limits its coverage, granting it only to patients in clinical trials. For those with the means to pay full price, Lakembi costs $26,500 a year, while Edgehelm goes for $28,000. Remember that Edgehelm came with great promise and hype and then big letdowns when Medicare wouldn't cover it? So Lakembi's approval is under Edgehelm's dark cloud. Both were developed by the same two companies. Both have been shown to clear amyloid plaque in the brain, but their effects on cognitive function are uncertain. Lakembi's approval was achieved on more solid ground, but differentiation from Adjahelm will require more time and improved data. So we plan to stay tuned. AstraZeneca has won an FDA approval for a new asthma inhaler. As Eric Saganowski reports, on Wednesday, the FDA released an announcement that says it approved Airsupra to reduce the risk of asthma attacks. The drug is a combination of albuterol and budesonide, the two components commonly used in other asthma drugs. Previously, albuterol inhalers alleviated symptoms of an asthma attack, but didn't treat the source of the problem, which is underlying inflammation. The approval means adults with asthma will have a treatment to manage both their symptoms and the inflammation. The approval only covers adults. FDA advisors had voiced uncertainty about the risk-benefit profile in younger patients. The approval comes just in time. AstraZeneca has a popular inhaler, Symbicort, but the patent is about to expire. Baxter will launch its kidney and dialysis operations as an independent company. As Connor Hale reports, Baxter's spinoff will be a new publicly traded company. It will carry a $5 billion portfolio of dialysis machines, supplies, and services sold worldwide. The remaining Baxter would continue with its lines of drug delivery hardware, smart hospital beds, and advanced surgery equipment. Baxter also announced it would try to slim down even further by exploring potential suitors to buy up its biopharma solutions division, which works with drug makers to provide pre-filled syringes and other products that require sterile manufacturing. That's it for The Top Line. I'm Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hudson. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at FiercePharma.com. And that's The Bottom Line from The Top Line.